little project, trying to learn more and more what it means to be the Lord's church, how to love each other well, how to be a light in this community, how to honor Jesus in the way we live our lives. This is a part of that, what we do here in this church, to build up and encourage and grow. I see a man in the back there. There's one of our answers to prayer. Continuing this series in Acts, and uh, we're just doing a short little section this morning, just the beginning few verses of chapter six. If you have a Bible and want to turn there, um, in the series that I call Acts of the Holy Spirit, because you have different players, the human element involved in Acts, but the the main character from beginning to end in this history of how the church exploded and began to take over the world. The main character is the Holy Spirit himself. And uh, so it's just these first few verses in uh, chapter 6 that we're looking at this morning. And uh, I can talk a lot about just a few verses, so you don't really get a short sermon, even though we're not covering a lot of text. So if you thought you were going to get off easy, I'm just helping you kind of steal yourself a little bit. So our theme that we keep coming back to is from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And if we want to become an Acts 2 kind of church, and if we want to be having Acts 2 kind of results, we need to be a people who have Acts 2 kinds of devotion. So the beginning verses of chapter 6 today, uh, we are looking at growing pains, growing pains of this church. As the church grows and as new people come into the church, new challenges arise and new uh, ways of doing things have to be developed. So one thing that I really enjoyed about the, the way the author of Acts writes is that his honesty about the challenges that churches face from the outside and from the inside. There are a group of people who are learning how to be brave and bold in the power of the Holy Spirit in their proclamation. And they're following the Spirit's lead, learning how to courageously share Jesus, learning how to love each other well, um, and even love each other well in, in the face of an environment or a culture where there are people opposed to them to their message, even institutions and organizations that are against this message that they are sharing and proclaiming. So the Holy Spirit and angels are leading uh, the disciples into these places of uh, potential confrontation and dangerous situations where people are forced to decide, disciples of Jesus are forced to decide, am I going to trust God? Or am I going to just do what's comfortable and safe? And that's a question that we have to grapple with, too. We see the honesty of the narrative of Acts in uh, stories like Ananias and Sapphira. Inside the church family, you don't fake it. You don't pretend to be something you are not. You don't pretend to have a certain kind of heart when in reality, 
religious and put on a religious show to get praise from people and at the same time disregard the light of God. There's a lot of lessons that are in that little narrative for us. And now, another internal problem that we face in chapter 6, and this is probably due to rapid growth, a certain group was being overlooked in the distribution. And although we're not given any uh, indication that there was particular malicious intent with what was going on, we find an ethnic group of insiders being taken care of and an ethnic group of outsiders being overlooked. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing as they're growing, the Grecian Jews, among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So at this point, at least, all Christians are Jewish, but the Grecian Jews were Jews of the diaspora. They were uh, Jews who grew up in different cities speaking Greek and familiar with Greek culture and Greek customs. And they were not as closely bound to Israel or Jerusalem or the rituals that took place in the temple as Hebraic Jews would be. In the culture of this time, if a woman loses her spouse for whatever reason, and there's no extended family to care for her needs, she's in particular danger. Uh, she has some, uh, she's particularly vulnerable in that day and time. Uh, so the early church recognized these late, these women who had special needs and helped support their widows financially. And so we have this situation that arises where those who are part of the ethnic insider group are taken care of, but those on the outside of that are not having their needs fully met. So the problem is, whether it was intended or not, the situation of favoritism has arisen church. And it's across ethnic lines. It looks like there are second class citizens in this young church. And as we're about to see, the church recognizes this as a very real problem. And it's something that needs to be addressed and fixed and taken care of. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So there are certain things that have to get done in a church. Pay attention to what the apostles are unwilling to let go of, though. Uh, but yet they don't ignore the problem. They come up with a plan to take care of some very real needs in that congregation. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Men who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Why are these the criteria for the people they choose to wait on tables? Why not choose people who were really good at logistics or administration? Why not choose a really good quartermaster who 
could help keep track of the stocks of goods and proportion things out according to the total number of people in need. They chose people full of the spirit of wisdom because more than anything else, these were the people that they needed. Especially in a situation that has a potential for becoming divisive. And in a situation that has a potential for becoming a distraction from what they're really supposed to be about. So also notice in this verse the priority that's taking place. There's nothing more important for their leadership than ministry of the word and prayer. They would not let anything dissuade them from their teaching and from their prayers. There's a temptation that when stuff starts to go sideways, then that's the first thing. We, we gotta address this, we gotta fix the problem. And we end up, end up letting go of things that are the real priorities. This is an important lesson for the church because there is a great temptation to let lesser things become greater things, is there not? We are notorious at making molehills into mountains. Really, I think we need to keep our teachers teaching, our preachers preaching, and our prayers praying. That needs to not be interrupted. As a fellowship, I believe it's crucial to have a leadership that is focused on the ministry of the word and on prayer. A lot of elders and ministers run into trouble when they think that their position, they think of it in terms of being in charge or directive or administrative, but primarily the role of elder or even minister at times is spiritual and relational. So let me shift gears a minute, and I'm just gonna walk parallel to this as a way to help this, us hear this a little bit differently. And I do this because we read texts like this and we think, who really cares? Okay, they, they're overlooking widows. Just, you know, fix this. Take, take care of this problem. And uh, just make things fair and then move on. Because we don't have the same emotional content tied to this particular issue. We don't hear it the same way. We don't see the potential to be inflammatory in the same way as that, you know, as they're in the midst of the crisis how the enemy will kind of come and try to take those things and use that to destroy the unity of the church. So since we're so far removed from this particular issue, we don't hear the danger in that. We don't hear the temptation in that. So I'm going to talk about something that maybe we do feel more strongly about. Because sometimes we miss the fact that we too are a church with a particular tradition, with particular issues, and particular things that we feel strongly about, are we not? And this isn't going to be, some people will care less about this, but there are some people who feel more strongly about this. I do not believe that God will condemn anyone to hell because they use the instrument. I come from an acapella tradition. In fact, acapella worship is my 
embarrassed, and I even have reasons for it. But my tradition does not make me judge over someone who feels otherwise in this disputable matter. And I call it disputable because nowhere in the New Testament is there any kind of prohibition or commandment not to use instruments. Neither is there any verse there saying you need to use instruments. And we come up with proof texts that the, we take these verses and it's like trying to, because we have a point, we've got to have back, we've got to figure this out. We take a, a square, a round peg and put it, try to force it into a square hole and we try to come up with you know, verses to support our side of this position or what, and it's nothing to do with you know, what the author of the, or the book is intentionally trying, originally intending to address. And uh, we, we try to cobble these things together, it just doesn't work. But even within the nuances of our acapella tradition, we have strong feelings that are inside that as well. I think there's a lot of things that we could learn to do uh, that would help our a cappella singing, helped us to do it better. Before I was here in Eugene, I came from a church that had a praise team, men and women who had microphones and they would sit in the balcony and they would help fill out the parts and they would carry the music and they would help the congregation learn to sing new songs. And yet I have a parent who hates the idea of a praise team and says things like, they're turning worship into a performance. And I don't see it that way at all. I don't like always that if a song leader mixed up his song list from 1982 and his song list from last week, he can't necessarily tell the difference, even though it's been 40 years. Other people probably like that about us. Honestly, I like a mix of new and old, but that's just me. I have witnessed grown men and women who call themselves Christians, yelling at each other like little kids over the issue of hand clapping, with the result basically being, if I don't get my way, I'm going to take my toys and go. Sometimes we come here and we act like it's the job of the church to cater to my preferences. People complain when things don't happen quick enough. And others complain when change comes too quickly. We act as if complaining is a fruit of the Spirit in my spiritual act of worship. draw lines, and then when we don't get our way, we let people know, and a lot of times we throw a fit. And even in our very own church family, we keep running lists in our minds of who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. And we are blind to the ways that we are moving away from brotherly love.
point of me bringing this up is not that you can peg me as a part of a praise team camp, or you can label up our preacher. Now we know he's one of those pro hand clapping whippersnappers. <laughs> My point is to say that in the church, things come up that we feel strongly about. We quickly draw lines that God himself is not drawing, and we move away from brotherly love. And we move away from the mission of God. The apostles, they didn't just ignore the issue when it came up. They wouldn't be distracted from what the hell is first important. But they dealt decisively and appropriately with the issue. See, a lot of times churches feel afraid to act on things because they don't want to rock the boat. If we just don't talk about this, if we just avoid this subject altogether, if we, should, if we can just keep our complainers happy, if we can just pretend that this really isn't an issue, that everything will blow over and we'll carry on somehow. Churches that use this kind of approach a lot of times very soon they end up in with an environment that everyone feels like they're walking on eggshells around each other, tiptoeing and people pleasing, not wanting to rock the boat. And you end up gaining a list of rules and losing the mission of God sometimes. I don't want to be in a tiptoe kind of church situation. I want to have enough brotherly love and discernment that we can sit and we can work through these things with wisdom and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. See, there are all kinds of issues that come up. Their issue was these Grecian widows were being overlooked. Our issues in our time and age are different, and yet we have things we feel very passionately about and very strongly about. There are issues that come our way that have the potential to distract us and divide us. Is that not true? All the people we need in the various roles in the church, of all the people that we taking care of running our programs more than anything else, I'm convinced that we need men and women who are filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with wisdom, not people who have an agenda and an axe to grind. So in Acts chapter 6, the leaders will not be distracted from prayer or proclamation by the issues that arise. Prayer and talking about Jesus, teaching about Jesus, they will not be dissuaded from that, no matter what the issues are that come. But rather they don't they, they, rather they don't ignore the, the problem. They tell the church to delegate spirit-filled people to address this very real issue that need. So the proposal it pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Chorus, 
Ken are contented. Arbenus and Nicholas from Antioch, the converts to Judaism. So who are these men? Well, in the upcoming chapters of Acts, we'll read about Stephen and about Philip, and we'll get an idea about their character. We'll get an idea of their faithfulness, how the Holy Spirit uses them in power, and we'll get an idea of their love for the Lord. Another interesting thing let me point out about all of these names is their Greek names. So the administrators of this new project are all members of the ethnic group, ethnic group that had been wronged. Isn't that interesting? They were all Grecian Jews, and one of them wasn't even born a Jew, but he was a convert to Judaism and then Christianity. So there's a couple, uh, uh, four different things for sure I would like you to notice from this short little text in Acts chapter 6. The apostles let go of any need to micromanage or control, and they stay focused on the word and prayer. They keep the priorities as the priorities. Number two, in the situation that comes up, other people are able to step up and fulfill a new role. In the process, they grow their gifts, they serve their church. Many hands make life work. Number three, don't miss that the problem gets fixed. The area that had been neglected now becomes fair and equitable, where everyone's needs are being met. Prejudice and division give way to generosity and unity. Number four, the spirit is at work bringing unity. The whole group can recognize the wisdom and goodness of the solution and proposal of the apostles. That's a work of that's a work going on inside of the heart. And a willingness to accept and submit and surrender control. Different people, different things are happening, but I see this as a work of the Holy Spirit. You think of the unity of this church and all the friends that come against it. of the way they handle all of this? What is the fruit 
following this proposal of, of choosing spirit-filled uh, people, people who are full of wisdom. Well, the fruit of all of this is a potential situation that could have been very destructive. It ends up getting taken care of. And the church, by getting to continue to be a church focused on the right things, it says this, the word of God spread. disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The priests weren't the first one jumping in, usually. Now even they are starting to turn when they see this kind of community. Even the, the stakeholders in the old religious system are beginning to wake up to new possibilities and new realities by these Christians in the way they love each other. They're not even called Christians. The result of all of this being, by everyone doing their part, the word of God spreads and the mission of God is being fulfilled. So a question I ask us is, what is your role in all the things that we do as a church? Everyone doing their part, the early Christians, they, they, they recognize that we're growing, we have these new needs, this is potentially divisive, we're going to get our best people on this, and we are going to get our leaders doing what our leaders need to be doing. We need to keep our preachers preaching, our teachers teaching, and our prayers So for the Sunday service here, for example, Sunday mornings we need 32 volunteers just to run the Sunday morning program, maybe a little more than this. So times 52 weeks a year, that's 1,664 volunteers needed to make our Sunday morning service even happen. That's for one year. And uh, 16 for the service. Uh, communion, prayer, audiovisual, sign language, uh, children's worship, nursery, song leader. We have a deacon of the month that is supposed to help with ushers and other other uh, needs that we have on a Sunday morning. Our classes, 12 teachers slash helpers. We also have people who are greeters, communion prep and cleanup, getting the building unlocked in the morning and the heat turned up and the lights on. We have people that do that. So there are all of these things that need to happen just for a Sunday morning to take place here. But there are other needs that we have too, because that's not all we have going on. We have so many wonderful things going on. We have a Sunday night service. We have a Wednesday night service. We have people who are leading and hosting life groups. We have a prayer ministry that's meeting at different times. We have the ladies' Bible class, the diner, chaperones and hosts for youth group activities. Vacation Bible School. Karina, how many volunteers do we need for that? That's a big thing. The Eugene Rally. Tyler Corbin is trying to find volunteers to, to help out with that. Our Men's Day is coming up on January 11th, and we're trying to be there for that. Uh, Community Appreciation Day, garage sale, game nights, and different recreational activities. We're going caroling tonight. Yeah. Building and facilities maintenance, grounds maintenance. Workday 
things that we need to do to, to manage the facilities and take care of the property that we have, there are a lot of volunteer needs. A lot of things that we're doing that we need people at home to. So I count at least, and this is a low estimate, 2,500 different roles that we volunteer positions that we need filled every year just to maintain the programs that we do in this church. And if every member of this, who's on paper of this church, would commit to help, that would mean that you would only need to do about one service thing per month. The problem is that only about half of this number volunteers, and of that number, uh, it's an even smaller number who are willing to do multiple things or things outside of their wheelhouse. And so in reality, when Denise and others are trying to fill roles of what needs to happen, we kind of have a half of a half of a half doing the majority of the work of the church. And there are reasons for that, we get that. If you're long-term sitting at the sidelines, though, think about that. A refusal to commit, a refusal to grow, a refusal to be challenged. I'm just saying, think about that, Lord. I'm not trying to keep on a bunch of guilt. And I praise God for all of the good works that are happening. But it's true. If more people would be involved in the different works of the church, it expands the things that we can be doing. Now, I think there are also different growth opportunities, stuff that is a priority that we need to expand and grow. And in my mind, some of our growth areas include these things. Really getting into the Missionaries here working right among us with the Savoya team, who are supported by the vision and gifts of mostly other Christians in the Tennessee area. And as a congregation, we need to find more ways to be involved in mission. 
would like us to gain from uh, the text this morning. Number one lesson. Keep the priorities as the priorities. We need to cling to the ministry of the word and to prayer. I think that that's an example for us. And number two, many hands make life work. As we grow, we will discover areas that are being overlooked. We have new people coming in. The Lord's bringing new people into these doors. And to meet the challenges that come our way, more than anything else, we need men and women who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. The Lord will provide those people. The Lord, it's His desire more than we can desire, and more than I can articulate as your minister, to make us into that kind of community of faith, full of love and charity for one another, able to navigate even the sensitive and difficult issues with a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of love. It is the interest of the Holy Spirit to make us that kind of fellowship. And I believe that, that is some of the good that he has in store for us in the Eugene Church of Christ. So I don't know how these words fit with you, how they are striking you this morning, or what they're inviting you to ponder in your Think about uh, if you need the prayers of this church, if you would like to put the Lord on in baptism, Jason, you can come forward. Um, you have an opportunity.